0: 2020 was a tumultuous year. The question we must all ask going forward is simple What values, ethics, and behaviors from the old world are we going to preserve? And what new perspectives are we going to embrace as we build our future civilizations? This is the New World Podcast with Ariz Kaki and Akio Samji.
1: Welcome back to the Gen Z Spotlight Series here on the New World Podcast, a series dedicated to acknowledging, highlighting, and discussing various Gen Z individuals who have contributed their time in building projects, working at amazing companies, organizations, or ideas, and have been instrumental in their success in doing so. I'm your host, Aris Kaki. Our co-host today, once again, it won't be here, and he'll be joining us for the next episode. Our guest today is a brilliant mind, which we'll hopefully be able to decipher, He is an ex-Shopify, ex-Facebook, and ex-Apple engineer, and has been at the forefront of innovation around the world by having the privilege of working in San Francisco. He is also in his final year studying computer science at one of Canada's most prestigious universities, the University of Waterloo. We will focus our discussion with our guests today on some three key themes related to his expertise. Number one, we will look into the field of software engineering, both as an academic study, study, as well as a real-world applicable career path. Number two, we will look into co-op opportunities and the skill of securing various placements at some of the world's leading companies. And number three, his outlook on the future of the industry and some of his current working projects. So with that all said and done, I would like to welcome Mr. Shamiz Ranguela. Welcome, sir.
0: Hey, how's it going? Thanks for that gracious introduction. (laughs) I felt like you hyped me up a lot. But yeah, thank you. Thanks for all of that. And Yeah, I'm interested, very excited to do this uh, podcast with you today.
1: Uh, no worries. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, giving some of uh, some of your time. So I kind of did like the basic intro. There is there anything I happened to miss in your CV or in your work experience? Cause it seems to be a lot, but I might've missed it.
0: I think you got, you got most of it. Uh, yeah, I do go to the university of Waterloo and then in, in my last year of school, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, as part of the university of Waterloo, I'm in the co-op program. So I've done a bunch of internships and I guess you mentioned most of them. So yeah, I guess that you got a good, um, overview of, uh,
1: My (laughs) currency. Perfect. Okay. So, well, that will just jump right in. Uh, Could you uh, describe your initial experience uh, growing up as an immigrant to Canada and how that was like um, over time in terms of your pursuit of education, your family building, and just really adjusting to the country, and then over time, developing a passion for computer science in your academic uh, life. So, could you describe that path for us?
0: Yeah, for sure. So, I came to Canada in like uh, 2012. So, I was in like grade nine at that time. And like, that's when um, stuff starts getting real for all the students. Uh, you actually have to start looking at what you want to do in the future. Because um, until then, you don't really make any decisions based on what courses you're going to be taking and stuff like that. But starting grade nine, grade 10, you actually have to start thinking, okay, do I need to do I'm I more interested in sciences, business, STEM fields, so on and so forth. Uh, so I came at a very pivotal time. And I guess in the beginning, it was um, kind of a struggle just because settling into a new country, um, uh, culture, as well as like also keeping up with school at the beginning, uh, it was it was kind of challenging, um, but obviously I uh, came here with a goal and um, eventually once I got over the initial hiccups of just like getting used to the culture and, and stuff like that, um, obviously there was one thing uh, that I wanted to pursue and was try to get into a good university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously the path going on from there was just like, how can I maximize uh, everything I do, and how can I optimize everything, um, all the decisions I make, and also deciding what I want to do for the future. Um, one important uh, thing I took up as a result of this was how can I make sure that I'm better prepared for university. Um, so the school I went to in, in uh, high school was Mark Garneau, and they have this program called the TOPS program. And so I actually took a lot of these uh, TOPS courses. Uh, so. For those of you who don't know, uh, TOPS stands for Talented Offerings for Programs in the Sciences. And so there's like, they're basically like AP courses and stuff like that. So uh, comparable to like IB or any of those other programs that you must have heard of. And so I feel like they give you more of a head start into university. And so I try to take those courses just so I could get a head start, I learn more. Um, and so I could be ahead when I actually start university. Um, I wouldn't be falling behind because obviously, first and second year university based on what I had heard back then, um, it, it could be pretty challenging just because um, in high school, learning is not completely self-directed. Obviously it could be different now given how everything's remote, but back then um, you go to school and then there's a lot of handholding and stuff like that. So learning is not very self-directed. So it's it. Take it uh, you need to take it on, on yourself to actually go the extra mile. So I guess this is the way I try to make up for it uh, to, to be better prepared for university. Uh, so that's one thing, uh, I guess another, Thing before heading into university through high school was trying to see what kind of side projects I can do, what like contests I can do. Um, so obviously I went to the universe, University of Waterloo and they have in high school, they have a lot of like math contests, CS contests for students in STEM fields uh, that you can do. And they actually reflect very well on your university application. Um, so I took part in these contests because obviously I knew that um, it's very important to talk to your seniors, first of all. So talking to some of them, um, I realized like, okay, these, this is some important things you need to do. It's looked at, uh, and I did that. And this is not only limited to STEM fields, I guess in every single field, there is an equivalent of that. Um, and there's also like various scholarships that, uh, you can, you can get as a result of like doing some extracurricular stuff. So doing that as well as, um, in high school is also part of this program called zero to startup, um, with, where I was actually part of an incubator a startup incubator something like a Toronto's version of Bicombinator, but like very, not as hype. <laughs> um, um, well, what we did there is basically, uh, we got, got the opportunity to create our own startup and like have all the aspects of it, like the product side, design side, development side, um, and also get into the pitching process. Um, and so you got that entire experience. And at the end of that, it was 16 weeks, uh, we actually pitched to the city of Toronto and Metrolinx. And so uh, we got the opportunity to like actually pitch and actually learn how uh, these pitching processes work. Cause obviously in the real world, when you're pitching to, pitching to ver- various uh, uh, venture capitalists, this is how it goes. So it was a good experience in that way. And we actually got, our startup got um, uh, we chosen in order to get like a six month mentorship from Metrolinx as well. So a lot of this stuff that happened in high school uh, shaped me and like um, instilled all this sense of hustle and as well as uh, made me think as to what I want to do in the future. Cause that was like going into it. I was like, okay, what am I going to do in the future? Uh, going into, going into university. And so, uh, I knew obviously even in my, in my school courses, I liked coding, uh, not as much, not as much as I would want to like have a software engineering, uh, degree at that point. I didn't know that I wanted to go into computer science or any of this stuff. Uh, I just knew that I liked this coding class of mine. Um, But yeah, this was all the things that shaped it up in when I actually applied uh, to university.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely get into the productivity side in terms of how you are able to like time block and manage your time, and maybe some tips you have for our audience with regards to productivity. Uh, But before that, I kind of wanted to touch upon something you just mentioned, which is um, your decision to go to the University of Waterloo. Um, Mm -hmm. For those of you who are not familiar about, University of Waterloo has the reputation of being a very rigorous uh, university, particularly in the STEM fields. and so. What was your uh, initial thought process in filtering out all your options for post-secondary institutions, and why specifically computer science? Like I know you just mentioned that you were in some of these like mentorship programs, and you mm-hmm. had you sort of had experience in actually building up side projects. And then mm-hmm. generally speaking, like nowadays, side projects are, they used to reference only people who were sort of like as a developer or in the development field. But generally speaking, side projects can refer to anything nowadays, like whether exactly. you're building an organization or a company. Um, why did you specifically choose computer science and not say like another type of a branded branch of like hard engineering or anything like that?
0: Yeah. So as I said before, um, I wasn't really set on computer science. So when I actually applied, uh, I applied to a bunch of programs. So I think uh, my top three were like, I had uh, one of the U of T I think engineering science, and then, uh, I think Waterloo software engineering and then Waterloo computer science. Um, cause I, I also, I had uh, some of my hardware programs in one of my other options as well, but I felt like I had a more of a passion for software and building stuff using software uh, based on my experience in high school. Cause I'd taken, obviously uh, hardware related courses, software related courses, and obviously other sciences. Um, if I did go into any other engineering, uh, which I was open to at that point, I would be doing uh, more stuff that used uh, various sciences CS you don't basically it's all the sciences are electives. Uh, but it was more of a decision. Uh, at that point, it was just like, okay, um, I've I've into these programs, and what is something that I've liked the most? Um, and I felt like computer science at that point. I was I I really enjoyed it when I was coding, and um, it just it was just high school assignments that I was doing, and I was like, okay, uh, seems like something I would be really good at this. Um, and then in terms of choosing Waterloo, it really came down to like uh, stuff I've heard from the upper years, and like when I went. I think one really important thing is like you go to at least when stuff was open, you used to go to these open houses for all these universities. So I visited a lot of open houses like Waterloo, U of T, um, McMaster, all these kind of, and then when you go there, uh, you actually, there's, there's also a shadow program in the engineers, uh, for the Waterloo engineering, where you actually follow an engineering student throughout the day, as they go through their classes and all that kind of stuff. And you can actually live the life of a Waterloo like, um, engineering student. Right. Uh, so, I, I took part in a lot of this. I also attended like a first year math lecture when I was like, I just came for open house and they had one of the sessions was a first year math lecture. And compared to all other universities I went to, I felt like this, this just uh, spoke to me in a way that none of the other institutions did uh, just because they were so open about their culture. Um, and obviously that you can't ignore the co-op program as well, which everyone was talking about, about how in, especially in the STEM field, how important it is to actually have work experience as opposed to theoretical experience. Uh, Because obviously, if you want to go to research, theoretical experience matters more. But um, if you want to go work in industry, work experience really matters. Um, And Waterloo's computer science program has two years of work experience um, and four years of schooling, all compressed into five years. So basically, you get no summers, but you save a year. Um, But yeah, you get two years of work experience, which is pretty cool. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, all these factors came into play, and I selected University of Waterloo
1: yeah i I want to go back to something you mentioned which is um talking about the upper year how you spoke uh tremendously on the importance of speaking to people who either have have experience that came before you um was this a time that you were seeking out a mentor like a lot of people generally um nowadays especially with how competitive things are getting in the economy and like how Mm -hmm. like how much of a bad state we're in as like a world as a collective how important do you think? it's um maybe by then it could have been like in its infancy where it was kind of a given that or you asked someone who came before you hey what university did you go to what was the application process like questions like this uh do you see maybe if you kind of want to be like a like sort of a future teller uh the future in terms of people having to basically the the need to have a mentor as being something compulsory now because uh how clouded and how confusing everything can be especially at this time do you see that as being something that uh you suggest to people nowadays?
0: Yeah, I think for sure, like having a mentor is like really important, just because they help you navigate the the landscape of the university. Like, there's a lot of stuff that is like not information is not necessarily readily available. It's like if you know, you know, kind of thing. Um, so you need to know the right people, and usually, people have been through the struggle already, have been through this process already. Um, for them like they, they're very happy to impart all this knowledge. Like me personally, like if there is a younger student coming in or someone who's wants to go into university, like I have siblings as well who are planning university. Um, it's, I've been through the entire process. So it's easy for me to tell them like, okay, what's going on? And this is what you need to do is exactly what you need to do. Um, obviously not everyone has like a older brother, older sister in the university, but there's so many programs um, right now that are open to high school students. Like there's this program, I uh, want to call the Shad Valley program. There is uh, hackathons that are open to high school students and Waterloo hosts one called Hack the North, where you get to talk to um, students who go to the University of Waterloo as well. Uh, and you can get a lot of, a lot of um, knowledge from there as well. There's a lot of programs that are, they've made open in the past five years, they've made open to high school students. Like Hack the North, for example, was only open to university students when I joined. Uh, but now it's open to like, high school students and, they, and it's like, pretty brilliant as to what stuff they build. Uh, I've looked at a couple of things. And that's a really good. If you go and are proactive and uh, try to attend these programs, you can find mentors there. You can find someone who can uh, who can help you navigate this uh, landscape of things. Uh, if you obviously don't have a mentor directly, but yeah, having a connection in uh, a place that you want to go is really important. Like I think um, someone has said, like you need to see what career path you want, and basically, let's say you go on their LinkedIn and you see they you have their you aspire to be like them? Um, and you find someone who has the exact career path as you or want or you aspire to be like them. And you just reach out to them, cold message them. Uh, mentorship can be had that way too. You don't necessarily have to go to a, a professional mentor, mentee program. Uh, nowadays, it's so easy to like literally just message anyone, just cold email them, uh, get in touch with them uh, and ask them any questions you have. And I'm sure they'll be happy to help because they were also once in your situation and um, it would be much easier if someone helped them at that time.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you, you just mentioned uh, LinkedIn, and I think that's like a really powerful tool that's often like underestimated with people, especially like, they just assume that it's just something that they have to build a profile because it's a given that everyone is on LinkedIn and that's how you get your like, jobs in the future. Um, do, do you think that there's um, sort of like a misconception with regards to like uh, cold messaging and just like outright reaching out to someone? Because often it's, it's easier said than done in the sense that um, it's encouraged that people just go out of their way if they're really interested, if they're really ambitious and they really have the hustle mentality to message and to reach out to someone older than them who happens to have like world-class experience in the field that they're in. Um, Maybe is, do you think there's another concern that I've been seeing, which is people um, know what they want to do. They just want to reach out for opportunities. And I think sometimes what happens is, and we get to like um, the co-op program and your experience in the co-op program, particularly at Waterloo, but let's say for example, a lot of people that are still at U of T, like myself for Mm -hmm. example, or other people Mm -hmm. at different institutions or people who um, not necessarily at this point don't know what to do with regards to a like a university pathway. And many people have been rec- sort of this crisis has given us the ability to kind of reconsider everything that we're doing with regards to how we operate in terms of post-secondary, what defines as the future of work. Um, do you think that um, there has to be something that the person has to come with, like leverage? And we've often been taught that the idea is that people have opportunity costs. And if people want to be able to be mentored by someone who's world-class, do you think the individual who's applying or the applicant has to come with some sort of leverage, whether it be some sort of skill or studying the person's work closely, that way you can utilize that in your cold message or your discussions with that person?
0: Yeah, for sure. But first of all, I want to say like, you don't necessarily need to have any of those things. Obviously uh, everyone has to start somewhere. Uh, You may not have like any kind of backing to, and this may be your first gig and you want to just message someone. So don't be scared and think like, okay, I have nothing uh, to back me up. I have, I don't, I possibly don't have a website or anything like that. Um, Still message them. You may, uh, most of them will still reply. Maybe they won't. But like, obviously um, once you get past that, it is important to obviously sell yourself when you're, when you're messaging, try to market yourself. Um, if you've done stuff, that's impressive, try to attach that. I think a very good thing is just to have a personal website, uh, because obviously you don't want to send a bunch of links and they're obviously not going to open every single link. Having a personal website has one link. You click on that. It has all your socials, has your LinkedIn. Um, if you're a developer, it has your GitHub, all that kind of stuff. And it has like all the projects you've done, no matter if it's STEM projects or any other kind of projects, social work, or um, helping the community, anything, anything of that sort. It's all there, um, and that helps you like sell yourself, obviously. And going over, if you have a, an email or something that you sent to the person that's oh, like super long, they may possibly not read it, right? Um, that's how. That's how, people are busy, and if they're taking out time to like respond to people cold emailing them, um, it, it should be something that's like short, but also attention grabbing, um, and so it's good to practice like an elevator pitch. Um, Obviously elevator pitches happen in person, uh, a 60 second pitch, but an elevator pitch equivalent of an email, how to sell yourself in one paragraph basically, and how to tell them what they need to know in order for them to respond to you. Something that really grabs their attention. Um, As I said, the website really helps, Um, but obviously that's to get more information. They wanna learn more. What can you put in the email uh, that can actually grab their attention? So having just a good, uh, sub- subject line to grab their attention could be really, really nice. Or even the paragraph itself, just listing all your accomplishments or sometimes even let's say you're uh, emailing someone who has um, who has done something in the finance field. Let me just give you an example. And you've done something in the finance field as well. Maybe maybe mentioning that and saying that you have something in common with them could actually help you out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, if you, if you if a developer messages me and a developer is working on something that I've been working on, I'll be more compelled to uh reply to them because that's something that my interests uh align with that. And that doesn't necessarily have to be professional, like could be any kind of interest. If you know the interest of a person, if you've studied that person well enough, you can use that to your advantage in order to grab their attention. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say like having uh this kind of stuff was obviously helpful. Just like emailing someone out of the blue without without having researched them possibly won't help you that much. However, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt to reach out to people, but if you wanted to, uh, optimize it and maximize responses from people, this is probably the way to go.
1: Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, sure. So like, we'll move on to securing, uh, your placements in co-op in particular. So, um, like I said, so you said that at Waterloo you have, it's equivalent of, I guess, what, two years worth of work experience, right. of various companies and placements. And so securing your first placement. Uh, what was that process like at Waterloo from like an institutional level and at the same time where was the placement and what did you exactly learn at your first like entry level uh, position like was it what you expected were you doing something odd or out of the ordinary like what was it like
0: yeah so I can talk about like first securing the placement because obviously um, there so first of all Waterloo provides you with a uh, job portal basically it's called Waterloo works which actually things, makes things much easier because you have all your jobs in one area and basically you have one application that you can just submit to multiple places. Um, sometimes even the same application to multiple places. Uh, so that, that way is really good that they give you this opportunity uh, to apply to all these jobs. Secondly, I think the benefit of that is like, Waru having a good reputation means that a lot of companies have their postings on it. Um, some companies, in, especially in like senior years, they only hire from target schools in the US and target schools meaning like the Ivy Leagues and maybe like Stanford or something. But Waterloo is always part of their like drop down list when they have school. So like that really helps when they post on uh, Waterloo's job board. Um, that being said, given that we have this job board, uh, there is still a lot of Waterloo students that you're competing with, right? Uh, and also outside students as well. And that doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean they're only gonna hire from Waterloo. They can hire from anywhere. Uh, for a company, like a person who can do the work, it, is equal, doesn't matter what institution they went to. So how to make yourself stand out is something that is pretty important, right? Uh, everyone has a resume, but how can you make your resume stand out? And so there's obviously a lot of things you can do to keep your resume uh, um, standing out from other people's resume. Uh, obviously, um, one of the most important things is, as at least for me, uh, uh, people who are in STEM fields, is side projects. And especially if you're, uh, if you're in, the, in the tech field, uh, going to hackathons was like something that really helped me because um, uh, in when I was trying to get my first co-op, uh, there's like multiple rounds. So I didn't actually get a job in the first round. Um, I didn't even get an interview in the first round. And then I realized like there's probably something lacking in what I'm doing. I probably don't have enough side projects compared to my counterparts. Even though I'd done stuff in high school, uh, Waterloo is like everyone is like better than the other. It's like really highly competitive. So like how do you set yourself apart? I started going to a lot of hackathons at that point, right before I even secured my first placement, um, and like started trying with the with the prime intention of just getting stuff on my resume, building stuff just so I can put on my resume. Um, and going to hackathons really helps because like you're pumping projects out in like thirty six hours, and you're in that environment where you're encouraged to do so. So that really helped me actually build my resume and then obviously apply to these to these places. Um, and then uh, interview skills also really help, like how good your uh, interpersonal communication skills are, not necessarily stuff that's on your resume, uh, stuff like that really al- also really helped. And then finally, after all all this hustle, just for the, for the first co-op I was, I, my first co-op was um, at Cineplex, where I was working on like, um, I was a software developer on their Cineplex store. So what they were building was something that's similar to, basically it's like a Netflix competitor. It was a streaming service that they were building. Uh, if you've ever been to the movies, you've probably seen Flex store. Uh, you can buy, rent, right, sell movies, stuff like that. Um, regardless of the product that I was working on, I think it was a really, really good experience just because it was my first uh, exposure into uh, the industry. Ev- first time ever working in the industry, working with people like from Alpha. Even though I was like a software developer, I was working with like product managers, designers, um, uh, UI, UX people, um, data scientists, all those kind of people, everyone on my team because everyone has a different job in order to make the product work. Um, that's one thing, getting to work with all these people and get like a lot of understanding from all of them. And also learning about this teamwork and also various aspects of corporate life that I had not experienced before is something that was, it was good. Uh, another thing was like working here was connections and networking. I thought I learned how, you can like, you, you uh, connect with someone and then you know you've worked, they've worked at so many other places in the past and in the future, if you want to work any, any of those places, they may have uh, uh, some contacts there that you, and you can reach out to them maybe. So that is also something that I learned. Obviously working in downtown Toronto for, my, for the first time over is also pretty cool. This is my first co-op, everyone, like all, all the things sound really nice. Um, and obviously the product that I built uh, was good because I, I could see like people were using it. Um, it was something that uh was not something that was internal and like it was being used by everyone, uh, which gave me a sense of happiness just because I was making some real impact. Um and so yeah, it was I, I think it was like a really good experience, just like securing the co-op as well as like uh my like the first co-op and like being able to make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Um yeah.
1: For sure. Yeah. And then you, of course, will move on to the elephant in the room, which is uh, you're moving towards uh, San Francisco internships and being able to kind of work at sort of the center epicenter, essentially, of where basically everyone else faces when they think of the word innovation and the most overused word ever, entrepreneurship. Um, uh, Could you explain um, your uh, the journey of how you like essentially moving to San Francisco and working at was it Apple first and then Facebook? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then uh, working at Apple and essentially being being able to have the privilege to go to like Apple campus and being at the sort of the heart of like some of those brilliant minds. And as you as you mentioned, how competitive Waterloo's nature was, did you see mm-hmm. a spike in, comp- in competition when you were at Apple campus? Because now forget about just the university uh, institutions, you're competing against on a global scale with uh, people who are either, yeah, the temporary work visa workers or Domestic people who are like much more older than you are, like industry professionals, people moving back and forth from Fortune 500 companies. Uh, What was that like in terms of the competitive nature? And like how did it feel being at like Apple campus and just being able to be like, holy shit, like I'm at the center of everything?
0: Yeah, (laughs) it really sounds uh, really impressive when you say it. But yeah, it was it was pretty it's it's pretty cool. Like uh, so right before I I worked at Apple, I was working at this company in Toronto called Shopify. And so that was the term I decided I was, like, I need to put my, like, um, find the gas pedal. I need to, like, actually, like, grind. Because, um, like, obviously, at some point, you know you've got enough skills um, that you can uh, try and get these, like, highly, like, these, I think these, these companies are something that, uh, like, highly wanted by everyone. Not necessarily, like, there's not better companies out there, but it's just, like, very high competition to get in and like everyone wants to work there. So you'd really need to go back and, um, basically like practice for the interviews. That's like the main thing. Um, and become better as a developer because that's the only way you can actually, um, be able to like achieve this. And that takes conscious effort. It's not something that can just come based on like, okay, I I have this much experience. I can just go interview and it'll work out for me. It's something that you need to put in effort. You need to have a goal and then work towards it. like for at least for the developers, you need to um, try and practice a bunch of interview questions because that's something that is detrimental, like whether you can get the job or you can't. And so um, for me, actually, I did that when I was like my the co-op before Apple. And uh, yeah, once I, I interviewed there, obviously, it was kind of a challenge, more challenging than my previous interviews. Um, and I see, I see that uh, my experience, like working with like iOS development in the past, help me um and like uh, like get this job and stuff and so yeah once i got it obviously uh when i was working at apple i was not in san francisco yet i was working uh in apple ottawa uh but i uh got to work from the uh apple uh, park campus for like a couple weeks um and yes as you described it it was just like um it's a very enriching experience just like uh going into the building and like looking at one of the most beautiful campuses i've seen and then look looking at and then meeting the smartest people uh, working, because uh, obviously uh, some of the smartest people in the world work there. Uh, but what I realized at the end of it, like everything could be good. The campus is very well designed. Um, like you feel really good. Uh, free food, all that kind of stuff, right? All the, all the bells and whistles. But with with all this taken away, the bells and whistles. What you really need to look at is like the work you're or work you're doing, and whether that like is satisfactory. All these, I think, all these um, bells and whistles wear away after a while. Um, I think something, that, that's something that's good about, like, uh, having the co-op program, I have a lot of this stuff at Shopify as well, like uh, classic tech company perks and stuff. And in the beginning, you're obviously, like, very excited for them. You get all this free stuff and, like, you have all this fun. But at the end of the day, do you really enjoy the work that you're doing? Do you enjoy the team you're on? Do you enjoy uh, the platform you're working on? That's what really matters, right? And so when I actually started Apple, this is these are the things I started looking at as opposed to getting uh, blinded by, like, uh, just the bells and whistles, and so that's something that was really important because obviously this this is just me beginning my career. How could I make the most out of it in terms of learning the most? Uh, working on uh, one of the biggest, uh, only I guess one of the two biggest platforms uh, of mobile computing devices, iOS and Android. So that's a really big opportunity to be able to be working on that, right? Um, and then obviously when I while I was there, I was uh, building stuff on the Siri Experience team, and then. Uh, accelerating the building of Siri that's something I worked on so this is something that uh, a lot of people use Um, and so I was taking taking that in being able to meet a lot of people there and also have a lot of connections because all these people have worked at so many different places before Uh, being able to build these connections uh, being able to build connections with the recruiters all that kind of stuff really helped uh, when I was like there and like to me for me to gain most of my internship as well as just like put my head down and work and try and get like a fire a return offer. That's most of the things that people look at and return offers usually if you work hard, if you finish your, uh, thing that's assigned to you and go above and beyond, it helps you get, like gain a lot of out of it, gain a lot of out of it as, as well as uh, probably just get a return internship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I think after that, yeah, sorry, you're saying something.
1: No, no, continue, continue.
0: Um, so yeah, so you said, and then after that is when, uh, the term was, uh, I think that was winter twenty twenty, is when I worked um, at Facebook, and so that was my first ter- term, like actually working in the Bay Area. So I worked in San Francisco that term, um, and yeah, uh, that was like it's like a meme at Waterloo where like it's called Cali or bust, and every single student just like uh, wants to go there for some reason. So it's like I guess oh, uh, living, that- uh, living the Cali or bust meme. But uh, as I said. It doesn't matter where you work. It's like the work you do at the end of it. Mm -hmm. However, that being said, I felt like uh, that experience was actually really good uh, working at Facebook uh, because there is, I think, certainly a difference between working um, in Toronto versus working in the Bay Area. Now, even though Toronto is getting a lot of this, um, a lot of uh, these startup uh, funders are moving to Canada, people who had initially moved to the States. uh, A lot of these startups are opening in Toronto. There is a really good startup culture in Toronto. But at the end of the day, all the venture capitalist money for now at least is like in the Bay Area. And so that's where all the new innovative ideas are coming up. Mm -hmm. So it was a really good experience like actually getting to work there um, and being able to uh, like take in all the stuff that was going on, um, being able to attend like a lot of, outside of work even, attend a lot of these uh, workshops, events, networking events, and just building my network, building everything that I had. Um, But yeah, in uh, in terms of like work, uh, I felt like um, the Facebook term was like really good just because I was working on um, the Instagram media team. And so uh, the project that I worked on impacted like over a billion users, which is like the largest scale I've ever worked on. Um, and this scale is like something that uh, forces you to be meticulous in your work. Cause like a single uh, error that you make can affect over a billion users, right? um you must have seen like there could there's like sometimes downtime and downtime in the app or like in a bunch of apps like that means like some engineer has messed something up and that everyone's experiencing downtime right and it's a PR nightmare for the company and yeah. stuff like that so you need to be really meticulous when you're working and that actually was something I learned how to be super meticulous with your work going through the entire due diligence before you um before you publish anything or before you submit your work and stuff like that um so I felt like that was something that really important i learned when i was working there up, apart from obviously the networking aspect of it mm-hmm.
1: you you mentioned um so my next question which was uh the san francisco versus toronto startup culture um i know you just mentioned that there's like huge amounts of investment being poured into toronto as being a sort of like a new startup hub even so far as to go to like montreal and vancouver as well, mostly, like the canadian big cities um do you, and I know you mentioned before you said the term "bells and whistles" and the so-called um, the hype around uh, Silicon, sometimes Silicon, working at Silicon Valley, and being able to say that you went to California to work, sort of seems yeah. cliché nowadays. Um, um, do you see that? Uh, like you mentioned that because the startup culture is changing in Toronto, there's high potential for Toronto as being this new hub in North America. Do you think that idea, the California dream, if I may? Uh, is dying out in the sense that um, maybe maybe you might even suggest to uh, potential people who are uh, supposedly going to follow in your path in terms of being a software developer or actually looking towards placements. Do you think they should maybe stop uh, this so-called um, emphasis on being able just to work in California, and like you said here, like you said, be objective in why you're going there in the first place to work on certain projects and to build up your portfolio, where people and you would suggest that people can do the exact same thing here locally in Toronto, where they have a growing. Uh, uh, they have a growing sense of investments and venture capital firms also in putting their dollars here as well. Not to mention the fact mm-hmm. that the whole the whole other geopolitical side of California as companies leave and as sort of the the detriment it has to the way our world is changing in terms of remote le- remote learning, remote working, as you said at the beginning as well. So, do you think that um, uh, do you would you would you uh, suggest to people not to put a bit more emphasis on on being able to work in California? Like, not that, that might not be like the end all if they don't get it.
0: Yeah. First of all, I, was, I wanted to say, uh, you mentioned Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, but don't sleep on Waterloo. There's okay. like a lot of sure. <laughs> a, a lot of startups that are actually uh, coming from Waterloo, and like some of the big ones, like I think Dalme um, Labs, which rebranded as North, mm-hmm. they something that came out, and they got acquired by Google. There's another one called Clearpath Robotics, which is also coming out of uh, Waterloo. So yeah, a lot of like um, a lot of these startups are coming out of Waterloo. Mm -hmm. as well as a lot of these companies have offices in Waterloo now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like Google, for example, they have their engineering office in Waterloo, not in Toronto. Toronto, Mm -hmm. I think there's just a marketing office. Mm -hmm. So yes, I feel like there is um, a lot of like recognition from these companies as well, which are primarily based in the Bay Area to open Canadian offices. Like I feel like every one of them probably has some kind of, it has established some kind of Canadian entity at this point, especially given the remote working conditions, right? And yeah, coming back to your question in terms of like, uh, do, you, do you need to like fantasize, like uh, working in California to that extent? Especially now, like it puts you in a perspective, like it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, you could be in California right now, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, you're still gonna be remotely uh, joining meetings, joining uh, um, like coffee chats or any kind of networking session. Um, back in the day, it was like, okay, if you're there, uh, then you can meet all these people, but now you don't necessarily need to be there. If everything's virtual, it doesn't really matter. And uh, obviously people may say this, this is gonna change, but this is the start of long-term trends right long-term trends would discourage as much travel if not necessary it just helps the environment and stuff like that um and if everything is going to be virtual or most of the stuff is going to be virtual doesn't that necessarily matter if you're there even that being said uh once stuff opens up people have already a lot of companies have gone remote first uh not necessarily working in um or like primarily based at any place they, they're like okay you can work from anywhere like shopify has done that Uh, You can work from anywhere, remote forever kind of thing, right? Um, So at that point, it puts much, much less emphasis on where you're working, uh, but put much more emphasis on what you're working on. Uh, And that's something that has been uh, very amplified given these current circumstances. Uh, And so, yeah, I would definitely say that always prioritize. And now it's not a California versus like Canada debate. It's just like location doesn't really matter, right? Uh, And like, I feel like a lot of people who used to, think about the California dream, I have realized that at this point, obviously it's not California dream anymore. It's just like, if you have a dream company, then obviously yeah, go for it. You need to hustle. You need to have that as a goal, set that as a goal in your mind and try to achieve it. Mm -hmm. Um, You can always have a dream company. There's no problem with that. But obviously um, the location, I think aspect of stuff um, has Definitely decrease importance over time.
1: Yeah, we had a we had a previous guest on the show um, that we interviewed last week, who um, also is currently a venture capitalist and he's working in the startup realm, and he sort of spoke to the. I posed the exact same question to him, which is, um, "What is your suggestion to people who want to go to these like you know these moonshot companies?" And his initial reaction was that he, he never applied to those in the first place. He's worked with people mm-hmm. there and he would rather prefer to stay away from those companies entirely. And when I asked him why, he's like, well, the simple thing is because I sort of have the other drive in me, the hustle to build my own and to sort of leave my own mark in, in sort of that kind of sense. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. and he even mentioned the fact that um, he believes in um, his opinion that it was sort of like an overhyped kind of thing is being sold to us that you just go work for these companies. But then again, you're working for a company at the end of the day, like you might be exactly work on a project but at the end of the day, like these these so-called developer, like job roles, essentially something that's more of a um, maintenance kind of uh, kind of task versus as being like sort of like the trailblazers. Did you kind of have a role uh, while you were in the Bay Area, while you were kind of working on some sort of like big project? Were you able to do that with that kind of clearance? Or was it more just sort of uh, the standard developer role?
0: Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Uh, just because some of these companies are huge. Like let's say Google, for example, right? huge company. And there's various things you can possibly work on, right? Some of them could be really good and very good for the company's business and like good for a customer. And some of them could be just maintenance really roles. So, um, saying that you work at Google, for example, sometimes it could just be like, okay, I'm like, obviously you put in a lot of hard work to work there, uh, to, to get a job there, but that's not like the gold standard, right? A person working at a startup could get, um, the exact same, uh, satisfaction from working there because they they feel like they're working on, um, They're working on like some very important stuff and stuff that's close to their heart Um, and like actually making an impact. So, which is why a lot of people say, okay, look at startups, for example, uh, because you actually be, are able to make an impact there, but that's not to discredit these bigger companies. Obviously you're still doing good work there Um, at least as an, at least as an intern, I think um, it's not wrong. Like having at least one of these big internships on your resume can really help. Like there is no denying that, that uh, even if you do apply to a startup or, try or or like found a startup and try to get funding, uh, they will look at your previous work experience and having one of these big names doesn't hurt, especially if you're really young in your career. So having a good balance of the two is really important. Not like, uh, not skewed in one direction, uh, just so you can have a holistic experience, that's it. So yes, I definitely agree with your point. Uh, But yeah, there's definitely some like value in that. And for me personally, um, I always selected the internship based on like the team I was gonna be on. So not based on the company. Company doesn't, name doesn't really matter, but it's the team on the company that matters. Mm-hmm. Like um, when I was working at Facebook, I know I knew the team that I was working on in advance. Um, and I knew that uh, it seems like it's very important work. And when I actually worked on it, I did realize that it's very impactful project. Uh, and I was able to actually roll it out to customers. Like a lot of times uh, when you go in these standard developer roles, you don't actually get to work on something that's in production or like that real people are using. It's just there. It's a side project for the company itself. That's something that not necessarily gives you a lot of satisfaction. Uh, but this thing, uh, the project that I was working on, the fact that I could roll it out to over a billion users, have that impact, be able to see the metrics in real time, uh, would it give me a, the same kind of satisfaction as if I worked at a startup because all these teams um, obviously work really autonomously and uh, kind of behave like a startup. So it really depends on like the team you're working on uh, as opposed to the company, I'd say.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like essentially the the main point I can draw from that, the main takeaway is just to remain objective in your job hunting and essentially just exactly what you're doing in in the content, not necessarily like where the location is or the company brand or whatever the case may be.
0: Okay. Yeah, for sure. Mm
1: -hmm. And uh, could you uh, talk about uh, the comparing all of your placements? So like when it came to the Facebook one and Instagram one, I know you just mentioned that you had the ability to kind of dip your toes in other realms of these companies, but out of all of them, which was your favorite and why? Oh,
0: <laughs> like if you had some of a it's a very tough yeah, question. Yeah. <laughs> um, honestly, they were all pretty. Uh, they were all good in their own way, just because they all were at different stages of my life. Obviously, this is only five years, so I'm not like it's one stage of my life, but like it feels like a lifetime yeah. <laughs> of being at these different companies. They were all, at, at each stage. I was trying to learn something new. Um, when I was, for example, when I was shopping, I was trying to get into iOS development. Because that was something, that, at that point, Apple was my dream company. And I thought that if I learned iOS development, I could get into it Apple. It's just like, uh, you, as I said before, look at the career path of someone who you idealize, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I see that uh, it's, it's easier to get interviews and it's easier to get a job at Apple if you're able to pick up iOS development. So that's something I was focusing on there. And then at Facebook, I was like, okay, uh, I'm done with um, relying on a single platform because like, obviously I was de- denying, relying on iOS, but then I ac- actually decreased the amount of jobs I could apply to and the uh, amount of places I could work at. If you have an iOS app, I can work for you, but if not, then I can. So I wanted to increase my outlook. Then I started looking at infrastructure and backend, which means like every company has some kind of platform that is being powered by infrastructure, it's being powered by some kind of backend. And so that's when I transitioned, and I was like, okay, this seems like a better uh it's better for me because I want to maximize my job prospects. Everyone has different priorities, obviously. Mm-hmm. For me, it was like maximizing the job prospects. So I was like, okay, this uh, makes a lot of sense. So I feel like I was able to gain a lot of new stuff from every single experience that I had. Um, obviously, some of them were more fun than the others, but, uh, and that, that's, that's a given. Like working, I guess, I guess uh, the Facebook initiatives are really fun just because uh, the intern program specifically is uh, very well planned and they want you to come back. Um, Again, for another internship, or they want to you to come back full time. So, like, um, like they have like a really good internship program. The campus is amazing, and like all the stuff they do is really good. But in terms of like the work, I'd say like every every single internship has taught me something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I can't pick in terms of work which one was <laughs> good over the other.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, that, that leads me to the next question in terms of your, as you mentioned off camera, uh, your current like state of work or your current uh, placement. So, where are you located at the moment?
0: Oh, so right now I'm uh, in my last term um, of school mm-hmm. in Waterloo. Um, and at the same time, I'm also uh, doing an internship at this company called Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so balancing, since I do have a lot of courses left, mm-hmm. I was like, uh, and like, you're working from home. Uh, I was like, sure, let me just pick up an internship as well, get some more experience because... Mm-hmm. As, as if I didn't have enough already, but like yes, you're, it's never enough to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, get want to gain more, and this also I think the internship is a complete different field. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never worked in the cryptocurrency space before, yeah. and also it's smaller. It's a smaller company compared to my previous placements, which is something I really wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able, as as we mentioned before, going to a startup or going to a smaller company as opposed to a bigger name, um, I felt like I needed to see if there is actually a difference because I'm also learning, even though I'm telling imparting knowledge right now, I'm also in the learning phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to see for myself uh, how, how much different the culture is and the, the work structure is working at a smaller company.
1: Yeah. And, and, and just because you mentioned that Coinbase, it's sort of like um, y- your role there, I'm sure, as a, a developer, um, is that, as you mentioned, you're new to the crypto space and it's an opportunity for you to learn, not just uh, within the role that you're the framework that you've been given, but rather the industry as a whole, um, mm-hmm. based off your current time, are you sort of like a small amount of time there um what is, or are you ex- are you passionate about the crypto in- as a are you passionate about the crypto industry as something that you potentially be interested in working at like in the future or are you looking at something that's super disruptive like coinbase versus your previous placements because as you mentioned your previous placements were like these established corporate um non- they have the the culture of the startup per se but there's like there's there's departments there's sort of this infrastructure, framework, centralized power, versus this idea of like a small startup, a small organization still in this infancy. So trying to figure things out on their own. Um, do you find your passion more fueled here at Coinbase versus at the previous companies?
0: Um, yeah, so in terms of the first part of your question, you were saying the uh, stuff I was working, like cryptocurrency in general, like it's made me learn a lot um, about cryptocurrency. So I'm reading this book called Mastering Bitcoin mm-hmm. um, to learn more about it. Um, yeah, that's a really, really good book. Cause like, obviously, even though I was, I was gonna start working at Coinbase, I still was re- the, the idea of g- blockchain, cryptocurrency, all that kind of stuff was still pretty hazy in my mind. As to like how it exactly works. I really wanted to pin the idea down before I could actually begin to work there. So I picked up this book over the winter break and started reading it. And like, it really gives you a really good in-depth understanding uh, about like the fundamentals for like non-technical readers. It tells you the fundamentals of like the blockchain cryptocurrency. And then for more technical readers, it even tells you how all this stuff was implemented uh, right down to like code samples and they give you everything. Um, so yeah, uh, that helped me actually fuel some of my interest within cryptocurrency. And also right now there's like, we're going kind of through a crypto boom where there's also a lot of awareness amongst a lot of people. Back in 2017, when there was like a initial wave, not, not a lot of people aware about it, but I feel like over time, a lot of celebrities, pop culture people are have been talking about it, which means that normal people are also aware about it. There's yeah. a lot of celebrities <laughs> are, yeah. yeah, a lot of celebrities are tweeting about it and stuff like that. So like, that just means like a lot of general population is learning about it, which is pretty cool. The more people that know about it, the more people can understand the benefits of it. Uh, and the more this field can take off because yeah, it's been, uh, it's been uh, established since a really long time. But like, I feel like finally it's taking off and like mm-hmm. people are realizing the impo- importance of it. So yeah, that's something that um, really interested me in terms of this completely new space. And the part that I'm working on is actually institutional investing uh, in for uh, for Coinbase. And um, like, obviously, everyone uses the retail app, but I work on the institutional side of it. Uh, so like market makers, high-frequency traders, they're also getting into mm-hmm. cryptocurrency now. A lot of hedge funds are in- investing like 1% of the portfolio in cryptocurrency. So like, which shows that uh, people are serious about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Banks are serious about it. Um, so yeah, this is a really good time and like, a turning point, I'd say in, um, in the, in the crypto space. And I can't say, uh, this early, like what my passion is, if this is my passion and stuff like that, but I'm really enjoying working at a smaller company so far. Um, I, so far I can't tell you if there's any difference Mm -hmm. or not because like it's really early stages, Mm -hmm. but yeah, it just really knew working in a completely new space since I've never touched this before. Mm -hmm. Um, and learning all this new terminology, new lingo, all that kind of stuff. Um, and yeah, that's, I've, I've, Always optimize for like, obviously you you want to uh, have a wide range, wide range of experiences. Uh, so I've optimized for breadth throughout my internships. I like try to do something different every single time, at least as an intern. And then when I go as a full-time, I'll, I'll uh, optimize for depth and try to get good at one thing. Mm-hmm. But so, yeah, this is just in my, um, I'm just trying to get more and more experience for, before I graduate so I can actually make an informed decision, like mm-hmm. what I want to do after kind of thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, we'll move on to your outlook on the industry and uh, any of the current projects that you're working on on the side. But before that, um, I kind of wanted to address something that we brought up in our previous interviews, a lot with our uh, Gen Z guests, in terms of this idea of, uh, as you mentioned, the self-directed learning or self-learning and productivity. Uh, and both of those topics I wanted to discuss with you, considering your extensive uh, CV and resume. Um, in terms of uh, self-learning, uh, there's been this like uh, push over the last few years um, in terms of this uh, decentralization, this open source uh, movement towards education and to consider especially education with regards to some of these innovative fields and whether it be just not just develop but like you mentioned it's it's growing and it's democratizing much more quickly at a mm-hmm. faster rate and the fact that education people are reconsidering everything at this point like um is uh, am i i'm sitting at home paying the exact same amount of money to a university as i'm you know um i could have for like a boot camp or for some sort of mentorship program this, these ideas are kind of being flung around. They've, they've ha- always been there. It's just that now they're becoming a bit more mm-hmm. people are reconsidering their priorities, their financial investments, their parents' money, everything that they've saved right. the whole time. So um, what is your, what is your thought on this whole like self-learning um, perspective on, I guess like going, getting ahead in terms of some of these industries. Cause often you'll hear people say like, oh yeah, the better thing to do is just to self-learn. Like from like, do it all yourself. There's no need to, no need to just worry about like institutions. Um, and mm-hmm. your money there, rather as well, you place your money in some boot camp, in some online courses, online certifications, pursuing maybe someone who has an, a professional mentorship program, but is able to give you concrete details as to what's happening in the world. What is your perspective on self learning? And then possibly we can even extend the conversation into some tips that you have with regards to self directed learning, because often many of us, I'm pretty sure yourself included, have run into some sort of like um, times when we kind of feel unproductive, kind of like. Mm-hmm ruts and what is your, what are your some of your suggestions especially in today's time to kind of feel productive and really your tips and tricks
0: yeah for sure i think um there's usually like currently since like um, all this remote learning has started there is a bit a sector of people who are like talking about these traditional institutions traditional universities um and are kind of discounting them just saying that okay you can get the same amount of uh learning from like free platform something like Coursera even if it's like you have to pay something it's not as much as the tuition uh so I've heard I've heard all kinds of stuff about it uh but in terms of my experience obviously I know how much going to a traditional institution helps helped me uh be able to like uh go into the outside world I know some of these companies don't require like a degree from a university anymore stuff like that Uh, but from personal experience I've seen like it really helps it really helps to get ahead of the pack Um, and Yes, you do have to invest a lot of money, but think of it as investing money or like for tuition, investing your parents' money for tuition. It's not like something you're just throwing away because uh, trust me, when you start working in industry, uh, you can make it back pretty quick. Um, it's, it's, it pales in comparison to uh, when you start actually working in industry. And I think it's, it's worth it. Uh, that being said, um, self-learning has been a constant thing throughout my five years of university, uh, at least personally at Waterloo. Um, in, let's say, in the software engineering field or in the computer science field, they teach a lot of fundamentals. So, like, in my first and second year, I had, like, so many maths and statistics courses, but, like, barely any computer science courses, even though I'm in computer science. Like, I had, like, one or two. Um, it's because they were trying to build the logic and, like, computation and the reasoning science mindset because that's what actually used computer science. But in order to get jobs, you need to have, like, experience in terms of, like, like for example, mobile development or like um, web development, something like that. All of that stuff was self-learning. Mm-hmm. Me being able to do that. Um, there's, uh, but that being said, the fundamentals that I learned actually helped me in my senior years. Like in the beginning, when trying to get uh, jobs, it was like all the self-learning stuff came into play. You had to like learn on the side, learn development on the side, learn these new languages on the side because they all that's all they looked at. But most se- like, as you got more senior. Um, your fundamentals really helped you. Because like all these interviews for these big tech companies and like uh, hedge funds and all these places that are super competitive to get into, they are basically going down to first principles. They care about the first principles. They care about like fundamental knowledge and how that stuff. Everything is actually helpful uh, that you learned earlier. So I think it's a very good mix of the two, at least for me, the stuff that I learned from school, as well as the stuff I self-learned. Self-learning actually helped me get the initial impetus. But after that, definitely school, um, definitely helped. Um, once you're out of school though, like it doesn't stop at least in a in a STEM field or in a tech tech field, mm-hmm. stuff is evolving every single day. There's new frameworks every day. There's new, uh, technologies every day that is being built like cryptocurrency, for example, a uh, decentralized computing, for example, schools and in traditional institutions have not caught up to that yet. Like to teach you uh, in a traditional sense, right? Because this is an ever-changing landscape in the technology industry and they have standardized learning and the curriculum doesn't change that often. So for this kind of stuff, you have to keep yourself updated. You have to keep self-learning, learning about these things and at least show the initiative um, to to continue learning. So it's more about like, even once you're in industry, to continue self-learning. Um, but I'm not saying that traditional institutions are not important for me, it's been pretty important. Um, but yeah, in terms of like tips and tricks is, obviously i've seen like being updated on the newest technologies is um pretty important because it also helps you uh in like when you're having interviews or having chats with people coffee chats with people the more insightful you are about the things that are ongoing help you to first gain connections and also helps you personally to like self-learn so um subscribing to some like newsletters and so there's newsletters in every field now like if you're in technology there's tech newsletters uh, if you're in business, there's business newsletters. If there's, if you're in retail, retail newsletters. There's so many kinds of things. Um, so yeah, subscribing to one of them uh, or a couple of them. Something that I would recommend is like um, The Morning Brew. Mm-hmm. It's a very good newsletter that I actually subscribe to. And they have a business version, a tech version um, that comes like every day or every other day. That's something that's really cool. So yeah, something like that would really help you get on top of things, I'd say. Mm-hmm.
1: And um, before we get to the productivity tips, um, how about those people who... Um maybe possibly had made a so-called error in judgment. And, and what I mean by that is invested some of their time or people who sort of kind of cast a blind a blind eye to like the industry. And then over time, all of a sudden, with all these like epiphany moments people have had in 2020, yeah. realize that uh, maybe their passion, maybe their, their, I guess their calling is in some sort of, they want to be a part of something greater and some, they want to be a part of like the changing world and basically be part of the so-called, uh, basically be part of the, Uh, the smartest, like the fastest thinkers, like the critical thinkers, they want to be part of that sort of like sector society. And so, but the thing is, they don't have the technical skills to back it up. And so what would you suggest to those type of people? Because the the idea is that if they were planning to go to a traditional uh, university, i.e. if they're spending another four years as a secondary degree, which you could make the argument that that might be worth it. But at the same time, um, do you, uh, as you mentioned with the crypto space, but I'm more so talking about like uh, other uh, emerging fields like machine learning, AI, and yeah. even, even in the development space what do you suggest then do you suggest then uh, to follow suit with that in terms of the self because if that's the case then you're on your own in terms of self-directed learning or what do you kind of uh, suggest to those people
0: yeah obviously there is a lot of people who undergo career changes i've met a lot of people when i was working in these places who were in completely different fields before like completely not related to technology at all and they compl- they switched into this like um, I met someone who was in psychology, had a university degree in psychology. Um, and this person was working at Shopify with me. Um, uh, but he, I think he did like a year of bootcamp. So there's a lot of these bootcamp, uh, bootcamp programs that actually get you, um, up to speed with like the current technology trends. So this person I was, uh, I'm referring to got up to speed with iOS completely. And he's like, a, he became like an iOS developer and like through side projects and, all that kind of stuff. He actually was able to get a job at Shopify with just one year bootcamp, even though he had a, um, a university degree in something else altogether. So I see that these bootcamps are actually really helpful for a lot of people. I've never actually done any of them, but I've seen that people, a lot of people who have changed careers um, and or and or looking to have like multiple careers or like a uh, side hustle, stuff like that. These bootcamps are really important. And like everything is so accessible nowadays online. Like, uh, pe- And it's, I guess a lot of people have said like, yo, it's very important to just know how to code, um, for example. And like, there's so many resources online, free resources that you can learn, uh, use to learn um, and stuff like that. So I guess, yeah, I'd say boot camps are something that's, uh, that people can definitely take advantage of uh, if, if they're in a stage of life when obviously going back to a traditional university or like traditional institution doesn't make that much sense for them. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something they can def- definitely look at.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. And uh, in terms of productivity, what are some of your tips and for those type of people, let's say, that want to get their edge, who are going to invest their time in boot camp, particularly per se, or people who, as you mentioned, want to want to sort of get uh, their specialization, sort of like their Venn diagram, mixing whatever they're as an expert. So, For example, I know plenty of people who work in biotech, work in uh, biology and exponential fields, but now they're being exposed to more so the data side of things. And now we know that everything is being encoded into data and how important data is as an asset in the 21st, mm-hmm. knowing about data as an asset in the 21st century and now they're being exposed to uh data science data analytics and all these other fields that were traditionally that they could have ignored specifically because these biologists could have been either stuck to a statistics course in their first or second year then afterwards they didn't have to take it because well they're going into biology and specifically or doctors who spent like 10 years and now are on the cusp of basically having to integrate a new technology, because as as you said, the world's getting more competitive, and the fact is that more and more uh, redundant tasks are becoming automated. Um, what do you suggest? What are your, some of your productivity tips in terms of like study tricks or uh, things that you've accumulated along the way in terms of like whether it be like you mentioned reading books, the technical knowledge, or the so. And some mm-hmm. people, I w- I can speak for myself and many others that some people have this initial like fear when they like look at something like uh, that they're not used to, particularly if mm-hmm. you're coming from like a non STEM field that I've known many people who've like looked at something like a piece of code or block of code that's really simple in HTML and they're kind of getting scared. Like, so I mean, like, what do you say to stuff like that? And is it like a, a sense of overcoming? Is it a sense of like looking at something kind of having like premonitions and then I guess just having to get over that hump? Like what, what do you suggest?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's something that's pretty common. Uh, even though I've seen a lot of, on the contrary where people uh, are being able to pick up these developing or just uh, um, coding in general pretty easily. Uh, because they already have some kind of foundation in math or reasoning because like at the end of the day it comes down to like basic reasoning um like for html all that stuff is is true that's web development but when when you're thinking about logic and reasoning uh, it comes down to like a simple human reasoning and you can always break it down to uh, logic for any technical concept um for those people they've already have some kind of like Uh, math experience or something, something in the past that they've done and they can build on that. Uh, But obviously, uh, as you said, uh, you're referring to people who may have like dropped the course before and like now in hindsight, they realize like, okay, um, I've now dropped the course or like, and now I've graduated, but I had the opportunity to do in the past. Um, As I said before, there is not necessarily, it's not over. This is like continuous way of learning. um, And uh, you can just go to any uh, of these online boot camps or like any of these free website and like continue to learn. It's not necessarily the end of the world, um, but I think like an important tip in that way. Like obviously, I can just say, okay, do an online website, um, and then people set that up and never actually do anything. They they start slacking, they get lazy, or they just like, okay, this is too hard. Um, but like I say, setting time blocks for yourself during the day could be really important, just and really helpful as well. Because these people who are trying to learn something new, they obviously have their own nine-to-five job or they have something that they're already doing in their field. Uh, It's not usually a good idea to just drop all of that and go and start doing this, right? Uh, Because this may or may not pan out. Having blocks during the day forces you to be productive. Like if you set a two-hour block uh, for learning something new, a new skill, um, something that you're not good at. So I do that personally for myself. Like I'm a, a software engineer and I feel like I lack a lot of uh, business knowledge, right? It's really important for entrepreneurs and in personal finance in general, it's really important to have that kind of knowledge because mm-hmm. I never actually took any of those courses. So I set a m- time for myself to be able to do this kind of stuff, uh, and learn about this kind of stuff. Um, and I also subscribe to newsletters and stuff like I that. but setting time blocks during the day to actually be able to work on something or work on a project could be really helpful because like it forces you to focus and not slack off because obviously, you know, you have other stuff that just, uh, that is due after that, or like you have to get back to your actual job. Um, so yeah, having those time blocks actually have found That really helps me.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. And yeah, thank you so much. That's the end of our questions. And so we'll move on to our last recurring segment, which is our three takeaways. So uh, three takeaways are anything that are, is could be technical, philosophical, or anything that you've learned and accumulated over your years. Um, what are your three sort of takeaways that you impart to Gen Z at the end of this interview that they can remember you by? So Shamez, without further ado, what are your three takeaways?
0: So my first takeaway would be, I guess, um, the people you surround yourself with really help your, let, let you help your uh, and carve your path in, in your life. Uh, just basically because you learn so many things from them. Uh, your company actually is your closest network, even though you can have a, a bunch of people or your connections, but like the actual people you surround yourself with will help you on a day-to-day basis. Whenever you're feeling low, they'll help you whenever you need to. Uh, get something quick. They'll help you. Like, and so, surrounding yourself with the right people who you think are uh, able to provide you with like, it's like a give and take relationship, right? You can offer uh, something to them and they can offer something to you. So basically choose your company wisely, which is something that I've learned over the years past five years of university. And that's really helped me um, in terms of just like uh, motivation to study um, tips on like job interviews, because they've done that before or even just like how to be more productive as a person. Cause I've seen some of my friends are really, really productive, uh, but, and how to get these tips and tricks like from them is something that's really important. Surround yourself with it. Second one I'd say is i have repeated this already in uh, the podcast, like keep yourself updated with like the latest trends or latest fads in your field and like a, in your field of expertise. Um, and this can be done in, much, in many ways possible. Uh, you can have newsletters, you can like uh, follow them on like social media, Twitter, Instagram, whatever um, knowing the latest stuff that's happening in your field can be something that's uh, really important and can obviously, as I said, set yourself apart when you're in a job interview or talking to someone on a coffee chat, having, when they see that you're so insightful, it actually like helps you set yourself apart from other people. Um, and I feel like finally connections are really important, uh, no matter what. And, um, I, I can say that that's a testament to what like my previous internships, having connections is something that's helped me. Uh, obviously they don't help you get the job, but they help you get interviews uh, and like referrals are one of the most important things when you're actually in the industry, getting referred to a job means that you get your foot in the door, at least to an interview. Uh, a lot of times, a lot of good candidates don't even get to the interview stage. So they can't even show their skills, uh, but being able to have contacts, someone who works there or someone who knows someone who works there and then cold emailing them. Cause I've done a bunch of cold emails in the past, uh, like recruiters, engineers, people who work there on LinkedIn, email, whatever. And like um, being able to get referrals of them uh, has really helped. So I'd say like you, in, and in order to do that, you need to have good interpersonal skills. So I'd say having good connections and having good interpersonal skills and trying to sell yourself is like the final and most important thing I'd say. We started with this and I guess we'd end with this. Uh, yeah, that's probably the most important thing. Sir. All
1: right. And with that, we'll end the interview there. Thank you so much Shamas, for your time. I know you're a busy man. And uh, where can people find you if they want to contact you?
0: Um, so you can just contact me uh, on uh, Instagram at TMZ. We can probably uh,
1: yeah, drop we'll- it down in
0: the description. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah.
1: All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, thank you to the audience for watching. We'll see you next week. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this podcast be sure to like, subscribe, comment, and share. Check us out for an audio-only experience on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other outlets. Follow us on all of our social media, and please consider supporting us on Patreon. All of these links will be in the description. That's it for us today. Welcome to the new world.